Good morning. Welcome to Laurel Heights and welcome to a new year. And this morning, a new sermon series that will take us through the book of 1 Corinthians. Preaching through a book of the Bible can be a valuable way to invest our time. Review what we've learned earlier and refresh our intention to always do what is right and good before God. It enables us to see the problems that can arise among imperfect people and how God has provided meaningful solutions. Preaching through a book of the Bible is not an exposition of every verse. We're looking for the main idea, and we are considering how that main idea and the surrounding text relates to our present day relationship with God and our relationship with each other. So this year, I'm preaching through 1 Corinthians the schedule is posted in the back. Recordings are being made. We are convinced this will be good for this church and for each one present. As announced a week ago, this is one of our goals this year to better understand and apply the teachings of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Paul wrote this letter... But we need to keep in mind this is God addressing His people in Corinth through the Apostle Paul in the early days of the church. Would you listen carefully, please? I'm reading from the English Standard Version, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place called upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ." I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, 
or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Behold, or beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of the world... The world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who become to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Please use your imagination for a few minutes and try to put yourself in this picture. You have obeyed the gospel, very likely coming to Christ from a pagan culture. And you are what we would call a first-generation Christian. That simply means your parents and grandparents knew nothing of what you've now committed to. And so your background is religiously a belief in many gods, morally almost anything goes, intellectually drinking at the fountain of human wisdom. That's your background. But you hear Paul, when he comes to Corinth, preach the gospel. And it makes sense. 
you are convinced and you are convicted and you obey the gospel and you're now a Christian. According to the instructions of the apostles, you join with other Christians and you're now part of the local church in Corinth. You meet with them and work with them and get to know the others and try to be involved with the good work that needs to be done. You want to build up your faith, serve the Lord better every day, spread the gospel to others, and worship and serve your new family. But at some point, it starts to become very unpleasant. The church is not a warm and friendly place. In fact, there is hostility between competing groups. Powerful leaders seem to be rivals, not brethren and spiritual family working together. And there are groups, and you don't know exactly where you need to fit in. You are a new Christian and may be uncertain what you should do about all this, but you know enough to realize this is not the way it ought to be. One of the members is having an affair with his stepmother. Nobody does anything or says anything about it. There is silence. There are some members so angry with other members, they're taking each other to court. There are arguments about what to eat, who to associate with, who to marry, and you're not sure about the answers. Some in the church have miraculous gifts, but they are immature and misguided in their use of those gifts. There is boasting and competition and confusion over the use of the gifts given by the Holy Spirit for the edification of the church in the apostolic era. The Lord's Supper is not observed with reverence. Some in the church don't even believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ. I've just given you a summary of the condition of the church at Corinth. What would you do? What would most of us do? I think what comes to mind first is just quit and go back where you were before you were baptized. Go back into paganism. Or maybe make the trip over to the church in Sincrea and see how it is there. Or some might have the thought, I'm going to stay right here in Corinth. I'm going to listen to what Paul writes to us. And I'm going to participate with other people who want to do what's right. And we're going to make this a better place. The Apostle Paul didn't have email or social media, but he soon learned about the mess in the church at Corinth. He received a letter from Corinth. He was informed by one of the families that they were divided. So Paul wrote this letter, 1 Corinthians, to them, to the church, to instruct and admonish and urge those with a good and honest heart to stand for what is right. And when he wrote it, he knew it would be a challenge. And when you read it, as a member of that church, you knew it would be a challenge. But for those who call upon the name of Jesus Christ as Lord, for those who want to change and follow Him and repair the damage, 
It is a challenge that could be answered by the activity of faith. We have Paul's letter, 1 Corinthians. Paul loved these people. He said, I give thanks to my God always for you. But he did not hesitate to address what was happening there that was wrong. In verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. I'll tell you, folks. One of the most miserable situations to find yourself in is a divided church. Instead of love and unity, there is contempt and division. There is suspicion and competition. And here, verse 11 says, quarreling. And the division in the church at Corinth amounted to identifying with certain men in certain groups. Some were saying, I follow Paul. Paul did not want there to be a part of the church that followed him. But they said, I follow Paul. And another group said the same thing about Apollos. And then another group about Cephas. They were divided. Following men who didn't want to be followed. Men who taught them to follow Christ. Imagine a sports team with four or five coaches, all with a different game plan. Picture a business with supervisors who divide the employees up and spread rumors about each other. And as the friction heats up, the product or service of the business is lost. Infighting, tension, pride and malice. Picture all of that tearing up this local church in Corinth. And then take a moment to reflect on how thankful we need to be here that this is not our experience at Laurel Heights. I want us to observe in the opening passage that in verses 10 through 17, it is all about their attachment to men. There is no evidence that Paul, Peter, and Apollos divided this church. The apostles did not seek fans or followers. The apostles were messengers, and they were delivering a message God gave them. But in this case, the people in their immaturity thought they needed to divide up into these conflicting groups, identifying with the men who were named. And there was jealousy and envy and strife, and the devil loved it. But I want you to look at verses 18 through 31. And listen to the emphasis. I'm going to read some of this. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Verse 23, we preach Christ crucified. 
Verse 24, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And the last verse, 31, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, what are you hearing? Paul writing to a divided church. What are you hearing? Mark out these phrases in what I've just read. The power of God. The wisdom of God. We preach Christ crucified. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's get down to something really basic and so very simple. The idea of having a local church is never about loyalty to men. The purpose of our existence is loyalty to God. It is not about us, it is about Him. It is not a competition where you boast about some man, some preacher, some leader, some group. It is not about claims that one man or group is better than another. Pride, quarreling, antagonism takes a church to very quick ruin and makes the church an object of ridicule in the community. But the worst of it is, God is not pleased with us when we participate in division and strife. When Christians agree to come together in a local church, the purpose is to glorify God by following Christ together and serving one another in love and patience, not tearing each other up. Verse 10, be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Verse 5, be enriched in Him in all speech and knowledge. Verse 23, preaching Christ and Him crucified. I tell you, they had it all wrong in Corinth. Loyalty to men and admiration of human wisdom is not the way to be a local church. It is about our humble submission to the power and wisdom of God who sent Christ to redeem us and who charges us to preach Christ, follow Christ, imitate Christ, and boast in the presence of God about no human being. I want to bring to our attention from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, three lessons for members of local churches today. And to bring these three points to our attention, I want to use three phrases right from the text. The will of God, the church of God, the power of God. Look with me in verse 1. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. There have always been two wills in conflict, man's will and God's will. The gospel's purpose is to bring man's will under the control of God's will. By forgiveness granted, by the activity of faith leading to commitment through growth and hope, the gospel's purpose is to bring man's will under the control of God's will. So when God selected through Christ 
Paul to be an apostle, it was about God's will sending a message through Paul to all men that our will needs to be submitted to God's will. And because of Christ, it can be. So when people who have obeyed the gospel come together locally, it cannot ever be a contest of wills because we've all made a commitment to submit to God's will. Paul is pleading in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. The only way unity can become reality in a group of people is for all in the group to surrender to God's will. See, <clears throat> if I'm living under the authority of God's will and you are too, the result is we are united. We are united. Division comes when human will is asserted and men compete with men and eventually push God's will aside to serve their own pride and advance their own agenda. Here at Laurel Heights, each of us must maintain our strong and courageous commitment to God's will and refuse to let our wills destroy what God wants His people to be. And in verse 2, would you look at that phrase? The church of God. I want us to look at that phrase and think of one thing. Ownership. Ownership. One reason we oppose calling ourselves by the name of some man is that would reflect human ownership. We are owned by God. It is perilous to forget that we are the church of God <clears throat> with Christ as the head and that truth permits no claim of human ownership ever. <clears throat> in fact, later in this epistle, chapter 6, 19 and 20, it says plainly, you are not your own for you were bought with a price. Any attitude, any concept, <clears throat> any doctrine or suggestion that humans have part ownership takes us off in the wrong direction. Every time the church is mentioned in the New Testament, universal or local, divine ownership is claimed. The church of God, the church of Christ, the body of Christ. Do you see that in Corinth, attachment to men and allegiance to humans was the very first issue Paul addressed? We are not the church of some man or group of men, Divine ownership is fundamental. We submit to the will of God as members of the church of God, His ownership. Then verse 18. <clears throat> For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, 
It is the power of God. I have been so fortunate to know so many wise and good men and women who have just the example and the influence that I need to remind me and to model before me the commitment I made when I was baptized. There are men and women that each of you could name, perhaps those names are coming up in your mind now, who have blessed you in many good ways, and you will never forget their good influence. But let me ask you, is there someone you know on earth who has the power to take you out of sin and grant you forgiveness? Is there some man you know who can give you access to heaven? <clears throat> Is there some godly woman who can be trusted to providentially lead you through all the trials of life? Paul wants the people in the troubled Corinthian church to cease their loyalty to powerless men and reaffirm their absolute loyalty to the power of God. People in the world who are perishing in sin consider the gospel to be of no value. Even they consider it to be foolish. But Paul says to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God that can take you out of sin, set you on the right course, and grant you access to heaven. No man can do that for me. And thus my loyalty and allegiance of heart, my priority of commitment must be directed to God rather than the failing and suffering and pride of devotion to some man. And then notice as chapter 1 ends, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1, by the way, that probably ought to be verse 31. Verse 31. 1 Corinthians 1 becomes a call to humility. We are unworthy servants who have been taken out of sin by God through Christ. And all we did was believe, obey Christ in baptism, confess our faith, and repent. We deserve no glory, nor do our fellows who were saved like us. And whatever good we do, it is God working through His faithful people, doing wonderful things we couldn't do apart from the will of God, in the church of God, applying the power of God to our lives through His Word. The glory is His, not ours. Gratitude to God in Christ and unceasing humility should be our mindset to keep us away from the division and chaos and turmoil that existed in the church at Corinth. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. 
Boasting is only acceptable when we boast in the Lord. God sent His Son. The Holy Spirit caused the Word to be given. What must be is our response to the gospel, our commitment to the will of God as members of the church of God, ready to use the power of God to serve God. I hope you'll read and study 1 Corinthians with us this year. And I pray that each of us will make it a point to review these instructions and personally determine we will serve the Lord and we will boast only in the Lord. Let's be standing as we sing.